following message is from the 2015 IBCD Summer Institute, Equipped to Counsel. What I'm talking about today is the topic of safeguarding women and protecting pastors, particularly as it applies to counseling. And uh, a number of years ago, I wrote a book which is no longer in uh, print called Women Helping Women. Yeah, went out of print. So, um, and in that book, we posited, um, Carol Cornish and I, our perspective that uh, women need to be counseling women, and what that then insinuates is that men should not. Um, so, let's uh, let's have a word of prayer, and then um, and then I'll go ahead and get started, um, Father. You know our hearts, you know, Lord, all that is going on in each one of our lives. You know uh, the struggles that we have, the trials that we face, the questions, Lord, that we have. And we pray that you would grant us grace to be able to think clearly about all you uh, would say to us and that you would help each one of us to be committed to helping one another for the sake of the church. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Um, so I'm just going to start out by saying what I, what I am saying and what I'm not saying. So <clears throat> what I am saying is that it's a very good idea uh, for uh, women to counsel women. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to make that case today. And sadly, I, I had the conversation with, with Craig and with, uh, with a bunch of the you know, IBCD people, sort of how to, how to frame this discussion in such a way that uh, we could get some pastors in here. Well, good for you. <laughs> I was going to ask if I Yeah, I know. Um, because this really is a message to the guys, because they're the ones that are, hold the power of how this happens. But I'm glad you're here, too. Um, uh, so what I am saying is that I believe very strongly that when it comes to one-on-one long-term counseling, uh, it needs not be cross-gender. It needs to be women and women and men and men and couples to couples. And anything other than that is an open door for sin and folly. What I am not saying, and I want to make this really clear. Some of you are aware of some of the situations that have happened in my personal life um, and in the life of friends of mine over the last six months. And so what I am not saying is that this is a response to any of that. This topic that I, this topic was chosen um, a good six months ago, probably eight months ago. Um, So I'm not responding to any particular thing, anything you might think I might be responding to. Um, Also, I want to say what I'm not saying. 
What I'm not also saying is that if you do these things, if you make sure that women are counseling women, and if you, or if you, you know, make sure that you have windows in all the doors where all the counseling goes on and all that business, that that means necessarily that those safeguards are going to stop people from falling into sin. It's just the human heart, you know? You can do all sorts of stuff, and it, and it just, just doesn't help. So um, that's what I'm not saying. Although I do think that there is wisdom, and um, that wisdom would say that, well, we do our best to set up as many roadblocks as we can. Uh, so my uh, belief is, and it is the belief of IBCD, at Jim and the other uh, guys who counsel at IBCD, it is their belief that elders in the church should encourage women to get training in biblical counseling for another reason, for a number of reasons. Um, I think that this is the call of elders to do this, and so women, I would encourage you, I know many of you are already trained in biblical counseling, but I would encourage you to... Um, Talk to the elders in your church if you're if you're not already doing that um, to encourage them uh, in all sincerity, in all honesty, in, w- with all passion <laughs> to encourage women to get training in biblical counseling. So, what are the reasons? First of all, for the kingdom's sake, mature women are commanded in scripture to wisely train younger women. Titus 2 is a passage that's very familiar to many of us. Um, It's been, in my opinion, just beaten to death, but but it's there, and it's there for a reason. And I want to read this whole passage, actually, from Titus 2, uh, beginning with verse 1. Uh, But as for you... And he's talking to Titus. Teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women are likewise to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to what much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and in submissive submission and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. So when Paul is addressing Titus, he's saying, train the older men, train the older women, train the younger men, let the older women train the younger women. That's his point. Older women are supposed to be training the younger women. Now, what are some of the inferences we can draw from that? No one, not even Titus, is better able to train a young woman than an experienced older woman. So even Titus, who is the elder of the church in Crete, is able, not even Titus, Paul says, would be the right person to try to train younger women in discipleship, in mentoring them, uh, in even counseling them. There were, Paul assumed that there were and are, mature women. Women who are reverent, devout, temperate servants. 
who had gifts and experiences that qualified them to wisely counsel and train other women. I look around at the church and I see that there are loads and loads and loads of mature women who ought to be involved in training younger women. It's our call. And, um, and again, I, I think in part uh, we need to be encouraged by the male leadership in our local churches to step up and do that. Now, in this passage in Titus 2, there are both gender-specific and non-gender-specific categories listed. So some of the gender-specific categories that women are supposed to train other women in is how to love and submit to their husbands and different homemaking skills. So those are things that, you know, you and I as women can speak to other women about. But there are also, but that's not all there is. Paul is not saying... The older women in the church should just merely teach the younger women how to fold napkins so that they look like the empty tomb. Um, the, uh, I, I, there, there are gender-specific categories, but, there are, but that's not all that's there. There are other things that are there. And uh, in non-gender specific categories would include right living, how to live right, how to live the good and righteous life, having a sound mind, uh, being sober-minded, being kind, how to love their neighbor. And these are all things that women can speak to other women about. Uh, we want to be very careful that we're not just saying that older women can teach younger women uh, homemaking skills only. The ministry of women helping women should not be limited to home economics or homemaking alone, but should also include training in godliness in all areas. Spiritually mature women can help other women in every area of life. Titus 2 is not meant to serve, meant to limit a woman's one-on-one ministry, but rather to be an example of the many areas that women can serve each other. Okay? So it's just, it's an example of many areas. In other words, Paul's not saying only this, 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 and this. It's just an example. It's just a, you know, these are some of the examples, but you can go on and on and on. Everything that a woman needs to learn, needs help in, needs a wom- another woman to come in and speak a word that would sustain her in, all of that is included there. Now, what happens when we don't do that? The word of God is exposed to reproach. When women fail to take up this calling in at least two areas. When Christian women are untrained, ungodly, and unrestrained... And that will demonstrate and demonstrating a need for a strong theological foundation and practical working out of the implications of Christian womenhood. Listen, when the word the word of God is exposed to reproach when women don't have older women training them. It is, it just is. Uh, It is exposed to reproach when pastors and female counselees get involved in ungodly relationships. And I'm going to talk more about that in a little bit. Mature women have an advantage over mature men in the training of young women because 
A mature woman who has identified and confronted her own sin can understand the gender-specific dynamics of another woman's sin, right? You sit down and you say to me, hey, I'm having trouble with X. And I can say to you, yeah, I, I get that. I understand that. Because that's part of my experience. So whereas there are some things that are not gender specific, there are many things that are gender specific. And particularly, and honestly, the more I talk to, to the guys, uh, the more I understand how differently we think about so many things. I mean, it's just amazing. It's like, oh, you think this? Oh, I had a friend say to me the other day that he thought that um, sex is, was the uh, heavyweight big daddy champion of the world when it comes to sin. He said it's the, he's the champion of the world. And I said, well, that may be true for men. But see, they don't, it's, it's like women have different ways of thinking about things that men don't generally see and can't bring into um, a discussion with a woman. So a mature woman who's identified and confronted her own sin can understand the gender-specific dynamics of another woman's sin. Of course, men and women, the standard is always God's word. So if what we're doing is just opening the Bible, and I mean, it's always God's word that never changes. The situation, though, and application is unique. So how I might say something to you will be different than how your pastor or a male counselor would say it to you. It's, there's a difference in the way it's said, in the way it's presented. Um, the difference is between a shotgun and a scalpel. Okay? So, I mean, I can take the word of God and just... And, and that's like a shotgun blast. And God's word will do God's work. But I can also take God's word as a scalpel and come and just very carefully apply it exactly where it needs to be. Because I have that same experience. I understand. That's one of the things that's really amazing about the incarnation. You know, you can say, well, God, the second person, the son, he understands... He understands everything, uh, you know, just because he's God, like he's omniscient. But that's not what God did. God became a human so that when I say, I, I, wonder, if, I wonder if God really knows what this feels like, I can say, oh, yeah. He doesn't just know because he's omniscient. He knows because he's incarnate. And he lived it, you see. And so the incarnation really speaks to this. So, you know, I, I mean, we don't want to be ridiculous and say, okay, so only women who live in Southern California and who are in this, have this many, you know, this, this much money and, and these many kids, they can only talk to, you know, I'm, other women who are exactly like that. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I am saying is that among women, we share a common experience. So last night when my little granddaughter is talking to me about how her emotions, she said, I'm so moody. It's really cute. <laughs> she says, oh, honey, you have no idea. <laughs> anyway, just talking about how moody she was. 
And because I'm a woman, I understand. And I could sit and listen to her and say, yeah, I get that. Yeah, this is what it's like. This is what it's going to be like. You know, this is, these are the things you can do. Why? Because that's my personal experience as well. So, um, I, I'm, I mean, again, this is just, this isn't rocket science. It's like a, a person who's, who has lived a life that's similar to yours is better able to understand what you're going through. Uh, yes, maybe not. Hello. Okay, next. Um, Mature women have an advantage over mature men in the training of a young woman because a woman is best at helping another woman know how to subordinate herself to her husband. Now, obviously, men have to subordinate themselves to the leaders in the church and to their employers and those kinds of things. But there's a very, very different component when it comes to a woman, a wife, subordinating herself to a husband. It's far more personal than, uh, you know, what a man would understand subordinating himself to his husband. Uh, A woman understands physiological differences that men may be uncomfortable with or uninformed about. Quite frankly... Um, were my husband still counseling, I really don't want a woman walking into his room and talking about how she's struggling with her PMS. First of all, it's none of his business. But also, because he doesn't understand that. I mean, he probably does understand it a little because he's lived with me for 41 years. But, you know, there are certain physiological issues. Uh, Not just women who are um, still menstruating, but also menopausal women. You know, menopausal women understand things that other women don't understand until they get there. And so it's a good thing for women to... um, just counsel women. I feel like I'm preaching to the choir. Uh, <laughs> women are generally more comfortable with other women when it comes to women who have been abused. And we're seeing more and more of this. Women who have been sexually abused. They need to talk to other women. They, they need to talk to other women and will be very uncomfortable talking to a man. Um, think how uncomfortable it would be for you as a woman to walk into a room with um, four guys sitting there to talk to you. I, I know any number of situations where, you know, elders wanted to talk to a woman about something that was going on, and the woman had to go in by herself and talk to a room full of guys. That's, it's just, that's, to my way of thinking, that's so unkind and so unloving in the same way men would hate it if they had to go in and sit in a room full of women. Like, um, Peter taught women publicly to follow the example of another woman, Sarah, in learning to be submissive, godly, and courageous, not being frightened by any fear. So, you know, it's really interesting that he uses her as an example. <laughs> we, we won't go down that road, but, um, you know, yeah. 
You know, you know how um, she sort of had some trouble. Um, in learning to be submissive, godly, and courageous, younger women should have before them living examples of other women who model godly behavior. So that's why, for women's sake, that um, for for the sake of the word. Now, also for our pastors and male counselors' sake. Um, for their protection. All Christians, men and women, are commanded to flee from the potential of sexual sin, not stay and try to resist it. And that is... um, I'm talking to a person a few weeks ago who was saying... um, And this is not anybody you know, so don't try to extrapolate anything. (laughs) was saying to me um, that he had been warned on numerous occasions that um, a a certain person, a certain woman was kind of gunning for him. And he had been warned and warned and warned. And, uh, And he said, my folly was I thought I was strong enough to resist. Okay? And the deal is you're not. Which is why Joseph ran out of the room. Listen, if you got to drop your clothes and run out of the room, you run out. You run. You run. It's, it's interesting because there are times that we're taught to stay and fight. Stay and fight. Stay and fight. Stand and fight. In this case, no. Run. Flee. Um, because there is no person on the planet... Who is strong enough to resist the temptation of sexual sin? You give any person the right circumstances over the right amount of time, and, and sexual sin is the is the heavyweight champion of the world. Um, so all Christians, men and women, are commanded to flee from the potential of sexual sin, not stay and try to resist it. Now, that's important, but that, to my way of thinking, is not the most important thing. The most important thing that I'm concerned about in counseling is what happens in improper bonding. The nature of counseling is to bond with another person. It is to open one's heart to share intimate details of personal struggles. So I was talking last night with Jim and Heath, and we were just chatting about this, about what goes on in the counseling room itself. Is I mean, even if there's not presently any kind of, of sexual, I think I just did something, any kind of sexual component, even if there isn't at that point, there is an improper bonding happening. So what I'm doing is I'm coming to you and I'm talking to you about my problems. And you're listening. And you're you're sharing truth with me and you're concerned and you're empathizing. And the thing that I have found that's so interesting with men is that they think that if they're not like really great looking that women won't find them attractive. Women won't find them attractive. I think that that's generally how guys think. That they think, oh, I'm old. No, women's gonna, nobody's going to like me. 
And I keep telling the guys I yeah, <laughs> I keep telling the guys I talk to, you're absolutely you're thinking like a man. Yes. <laughs> See, now a man may may look at women and think, well, she's really attractive. She could be tempting to me. That's not how generally speaking how women think. I go into Oh, I'm just having all sorts of technological problems. I don't know if that's where that goes. Uh, well, um, there's another one there. So I go into a room, and let's say that uh, my husband's a slug, and you all know my husband. He's not a slug in any, by any stretch of the imagination. So, but, you know, basically all he does is read the newspaper and watch cowboy movies. And I want to talk to him, and he never wants to talk to me. And I feel like I'm dying in my relationship. And I so need to talk to somebody. So I go in, and here's Joe Pastor. And, you know, let's, let's say that he's 63 years old. And, you know, I, I, I'm past his prime. And not, not a really great-looking guy, okay? And you go in, and you sit there, and you pour your heart out to him, and he listens to you. And then he actually speaks words of kindness and love to you. What's going to happen right then? Right then. Right then. Yes, exactly. It's, oh, oh, you're so wonderful. Now, what you don't know, of course, is that that dude... <laughs> That same guy goes home to his wife and doesn't want to hear what she has to say because he's been talking to you all day. (laughs) But you see what happens in the heart of a woman. I wish men would understand this. I don't think they do. What happens in the heart of a woman is that if there is a guy who will listen to her and care for her and empathize with her, have take time for her, not read the newspaper, not be distracted by what's going on on his cell phone, if there is a guy who will do that for a woman, she's going to be so attracted to him. Is that true? Amen. But I, I just... I. I don't think guys really understand that yet. Uh, so, there is a bonding. It's the nature of counseling to bond with another, to open one, uh, one's heart, to share intimate details of personal struggles. When I used to work at CCEF with Skip, he would talk to me about how when women came into his counseling room and cried... That was bad juju. It's a bad, bad thing. Because, man, see, we were sitting at dinner last night, and there's Heath, and there's Jim, and there's my husband and Caroline. And I said, Caroline, if I came into your counseling room and started crying, what would you say to me? She'd say, okay, let's talk, or basically get over it. We can talk. I said to the guys, what would you do? Well, they want to hug me. Right? I mean, that's normal. It's normal. I want to protect you. They're being good men trying to protect and help a woman. That's very, very bad. Very, um, very dangerous and can quite easily lead to other things. 
Um, I also want to encourage m women to counsel women for the counselor's wife's sake, and I've already touched on this. Um, I, I, I've talked to enough counselor's wives, pastor's wives to know very well that those guys who uh, listen to uh, women talk to them all day long uh, very frequently have very short fuses by the time they get home. It's like, I've heard enough words. Thank you. Heard enough. It's not, and not only that, but, I, but in trying to love my sister, I'm, I'm thinking, would I want my husband closeted away with five women from the congregation all day long? No, thank you. No, not happening. I don't want that to happen. Um, so, again, you know, this is what, uh, this is... Also, we, sh we should try very hard to follow the biblical example. And here's the example. There is no example, no example of long-term, one-on-one, cross-gender counseling anywhere in Scripture. It is not there. <clears throat> For a woman to have spent intimate time with the disciples or Christ himself alone would have been shameful and unheard of. The longest conversation uh, that Christ, that is recorded in scripture is the one in John 4 that Jesus had with the woman at the well. But I want you to notice, they're not closeted away anywhere. And it's not an ongoing situation. So I'm not saying that a woman can't come in and talk to her pastor for a while, but this better not be long-term. So, and, and that's also not to say that there aren't women, that there weren't women who followed with the disciples. Luke 8 is very clear that there were a number of women who followed along with the disciples and Christ. And, you know, even married women were there without their husbands. <laughs> So it's not that Jesus didn't welcome women into his circle of friends. It's just that you don't see him sitting anywhere in a private room talking with anybody who's not, who's not a, a man. Um, <clears throat> so the question then is, um, what is the most loving, wise course of action? And then, for the counselee's sake, and I've already talked about this, wives who may, be, who may already be struggling in their marriage do not need to bond with another more understanding man. I mean, that's seriously not rocket science, is it? It's like, I am really having a ton of trouble loving my husband, so what I need to do is go talk to another guy. Um... <clears throat> Marital problems may be exacerbated by cross-gender counseling. So I go in and I talk to good old Pastor Joe, and he listens, and he's so gentle. And he understands, and he prays with me. Go figure, a guy actually praying with me. And it's so wonderful. And you know what? And he doesn't smell bad. <laughs> <laughs> and and then I go home 
and there is good old Bobo, you know, who basically says, where have you been? Where's dinner? It's like, seriously? See, I don't, I don't, I don't need more temptation in my life than I've already got. None of us do. You can sort of fill in all of those blanks, I think, easily. Carol Cornish, my friend, who, with whom I wrote Women Helping Women, said, cross-gender counseling might be a biblical option, but only in limited circumstances. It is, however, particularly unwise when it involves long-term counseling long-term counseling, individual counseling for marriage problems, for concerns of singles, or for divorce issues are situations in which long-term cross-gender counseling has a significant potential to create difficulties. A counselor is unfair, unwise, and unloving to proceed with a counseling case in which he or she is not experiencing difficulty with, the, with sinful attraction, but the counselee might be. See, all the discussion that we hear about this is almost always just about the guys. It's almost always about protecting the pastors. And trust me, I'm all about protecting the pastors. But that's not the only person in the room. And are we concerned about the fact that there may be a woman who is bonding improperly with this guy, even if he's not at all tempted? There is an article, and I don't have it with me, but there was an article that uh, a a well-known pastor wrote, and he was talking about long-term cross-gender counseling. And he said... It came to my attention at some point during the counseling sessions that I, that I began to see that this woman was really attracted to me. And instead of jumping up and running out of the room, um, I let the sessions go on. He said, and, and it dawned on me, by God's grace, before I fell into some sort of really inappropriate relationship, that the truth was I really liked it. Okay? I mean, let's just be honest here, right? It's very, very easy to enjoy accolades. Uh, just enjoy the thought, oh, this person thinks I'm So why, why would we put ourselves in that situation? So how can pastors and elders? Encourage women in their congregations to hear and fulfill God's call to help other women. First of all, teach them to rely on the Holy Spirit's gifting and that they don't have to have an answer for everything. Teach them what they do have. So, you know, some women that I talk to say, well, I'd really like to counsel other women, but I don't really have the time to be trained um, and do all this. I I just, do what you can do. Just you don't have to have you don't have to have a master's degree. You can do what you can do, and your just just by your faithful, if you will, mundane vocation as a woman, you can really help other women. Just share that, share that, and of course, as the Lord has worked in you, uh, share what the Lord has done. Uh, encourage them by God's grace. 
to seek to become women who are reverent, devout, self-controlled, who don't, should be don't, somebody needs an editor, don't gossip, grounded in both the depths of theology and the practical working out of the great truths of scripture. So again, um, just it, it, it's, it's basic mentoring of one another. Just spend time with other women that you are mentoring who mentor you. Uh, you we are encouraged to pray for wisdom as we walk through the difficulties of life on this sin-cursed, partially redeemed planet. Listen, I wish that there were a... I wish that there was a place where I could just say, you know what? Oh, there will be a place. It's called the New Earth. (laughs) Where I can say, I can sit down and talk with a guy all day long. Right? And it's never going to slide off into anything else. Never going to make anybody jealous. Never going to slide off into my thinking, things that we think. You see, that's coming, but it's not here. And so we have to live in the reality that we have here, which is godly good relations, relationships can slide really fast. And we just have to be wise, as wise as we, as wise as we can be. Uh, you all, I'm assuming, are mature women, and I, and I sort of would say that you know, you don't have to be old to be mature. Now, I am old, but um, you don't have to be old to be a mature woman. If you've been walking with the Lord for five years, then you have more maturity than somebody who's been walking with the Lord for one year. So then find women who are younger in Christ than you and form a study group together or work through theological books. One of the very sweetest things that I remember doing, um, I used to have a book club at my house, and a bunch of us uh, women went, went through theological, theologi- like, like theology books together. Yeah, go figure. I mean, it was wonderful. We all sat around. It was great. We had, a, we had a really, really good time um, going through systematics books together. It was a blast. So much fun. Um, I would encourage pastors to make a way for women to take courses and attend seminars. I'm off social media right now, but if I was on social media, I would, I would tweet this. Uh, this means making training and support making their training and support a line item on the budget among evangelical protestant churches women make up the majority right I mean look around look around at church on Sunday morning Um, at least 55% of every congregation is female not only that but in the counseling room the statistics are way different. Um, women make up at least 80% of the counseling that goes on. There are others just, you know why? Because women want to talk about what's going on. See, we were created as helpers and given speech and the desire. And I, I think there's something going on in your heart and I want to talk about it, you know. <laughs> um, so uh, women are the ones who generally first seek counseling. 
I mean, isn't that your experience? That women are the ones who will want, who are, are concerned that something might be not quite right or something's really wrong, and they're the ones who will want to go get counseling. Counseling is all, almost always involves women. So, to my way of thinking, if, it, if it's true that there are more women than men in the congregation, and if it's true that there are more female counselors than, than uh, counselees than male, then somebody ought to be really encouraging women to get trained and to uh, have in our church a, a line item in the budget for this. I mean, that's... Uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> But, I mean, that is, seriously, we're not talking about, you know, let's, let's just take care of the two-year-olds in the church. We're talking about the majority of the people in the church who need help and who want help. And yet we don't have a line item in their budget about it. And we expect women, back it off a little, we expect women to, out of their own pocket, get trained and then volunteer to counsel, which is not something you would expect from a man. So that's all I'm saying, preaching to the choir. Um, Therefore, it would be to your congregation's advantage to train women to care for other women. And everyone said, Amen. All right, and uh, become IBCD or ACBC certified. Find a friend or mentor who will go through the reading and test with you. And we can all do that. And Jim has made such great strides, hasn't he, with the, with the certification course? I mean, you know, just a care and discipleship course. You can take it online and just do it. And, uh, you know, I mean, I would, go, I would go to my pastoral staff and say, uh, I'm, I'm asking you to consider this, and these are the reasons. And then if you have to, you know, whatever it costs to get trained, I would ask the church to at least split it with you. Okay, now there we have it. I I am done a little early, so what I'd like to do now is try to take questions from you if I can, and we'll take questions for uh, five or ten minutes, um, so have at it. And we're training others to make disciples because it's commandable. Right. Now, would you suggest that if people were doing that, making disciples, it alleviates a lot of the issues that we have to deal with in the I yes, I agree with you. The sort of question statement is that they are doing a, a discipleship training saints program in their church, and that that really helps on e- even cutting down the m- amount of counseling that goes on. I know at Faith Baptist Church in Indiana, I don't know what the statistic is now, but it's very high. I want to say they have two thousand people in their congregation now. And of those 2,000 people, let's say um, at least two-thirds of them 
have been trained in biblical counseling. And they do that through all sorts of courses and things that they're doing all the time, pumping it all the time into the congregation so that the congregation is taking care of a lot of the problems that would normally come up. And if you have, I mean, if all your pals are basically biblical counselors, then when you start to go off the rails a little bit, your friends are going to be talking to you before you actually even end up in a counseling office. Ending up in a counseling office a lot of times happens because people are not being trained in the local congregation to disciple one another. And again, a lot of that has to do with mature women being willing to pour their lives into younger women. Yeah. Um, So I am a professional counselor. I'm an MFT. Uh Uh-huh. More secular, huh? but I've never used any of that crap because it's all godless anyway. Yes, that's why I'm here. Um, but what I was going to say is that the ethical boundaries and guidelines that were like pounded into my head have been so helpful. Yes, to spread into even doing church counseling. I mean, they give us this book that we have to read and give to any client that's like opposite sex. If we yes, do counseling them, and it's called professional therapy. Never includes sex. <laughs> yes. You think we wouldn't really need that book? Yes. Yes. Um, it's really helpful. I yes. But also, one thing that's really helpful for me is that I have a group and a supervisor that I talk to about the people in counseling. Yes. Every week I meet with her and, and what happened with this person? What happened with yes. this person? Um, that accountability has been so helpful. So I'm wondering, have you talked to, I came in a little late. Have you talked about having some kind of accountability with one another in the church, or even with the the pastor? For mm-hmm. example, you know, maybe I, in the church I'm counseling five women, mm-hmm. and then I meet with the pastor or another counseling female. Mm-hmm. Say this happens. This is what I told them. Right. This is what they're going through. You know, how am I doing? Yes. I found that to be really helpful in my professional field. Yes. And I feel like if I didn't have that, I would be like. Yes, I think that's a great idea, and I I think the best case scenario is that in the local congregation, uh, if you have more than one pastor, if you have a pastor perhaps who's sort of over counseling, that all of the people who are uh, who are mentoring, counseling, meeting with other people are reporting back to that person. I know that in our congregation. Uh, we have we have someone who is in charge of counseling, a pastor in charge of counseling, and all the counselors report to him all the time about everything that's going on. So I completely agree with you. The more accountability that you have, the better it is. But I'm just going to say this, all right? We can do all these things, and the human heart will do what the human heart will do. So, yes, let's be wise. Let's put up safeguards. Let's, let's make it really hard to get from here to there. You know? I mean, you got to drag yourself through barbed wire to get from here to there. But if people are determined to get from here to there, they're going to get there. Mm-hmm. However, yes, absolutely, that's really great. Thank you for sharing that. We, we really need accountability with one another. 
I know at IBCD that's one of the really lovely things that goes on is everybody sharing all their cases all the time. I think another way it's been safeguarded against gossip too. Yes. Say so you're telling someone's crazy story. And, yes. You know, you just want to, you know, I just have a crazy story. You know, you want to tell someone or, or even your husband if they're not um, pastors. You yes. You go home, you want to talk to them and that's not okay. You can't Right. Right. Exactly. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. That's helpful. Right, exactly. And, you know, I, I, I mean, just basically by, by just saying, hey, you know, let's just get together and have coffee. We don't, we don't have to go deep. We don't, I, you know, I just want to spend some time and get. Just if you have friends in that sort of younger group community, then hopefully some of them will want this. But it also has to come from the pulpit. If it's coming from the pulpit, you younger women need to be meeting with these women. We want to encourage you to get together with them. A lot of times that will be helpful as well. So anybody have any other ideas about you know, how to really encourage women to, younger women to get together with older women? She touched on a, an issue that I think we have a gap in our church. Our church does a wonderful job of counseling. We have several IBCD trained counselors. They get all the crisis cases. Our church hands them the crime, and they are swamped with crisis cases. So that leaves all those who aren't trained to come alongside, walk alongside, and that can be scary because now you have friends that want to talk, who are going through crisis, but no one in their family is committing suicide, but they have real crisis, and they're not getting biblically trained advice. Right. What I what I would like to so there's that gap. Yes. That gap that's in the congregation and from the pulpit it's being said, talk to the person who brought you. Uh, get into a small group. Well, and that's all great. But they haven't been trained. So right. I I wonder if we could get IBCD trained counselors to not necessarily handle crisis cases, right. but go into the body and train and see. That's the other thing. This generation doesn't like the word mentor. You know, Thank you, Seinfeld. That's an old word. That's yeah. an old word. And so come up with a new word for mentor. I don't care. But it need, they need to be in the body and not necessarily handling crisis cases. Yeah. What I would love to see happen, and I think that Jim and Craig have done such a good thing in developing that Karen Discipleship Program. You can take that program and take all of your home group leaders through it. You take that program and take all of your women's ministry leaders through it. Uh, I mean, why not? I mean, just open, just open the doors and say, all right, all you home group leaders, and I think every, almost every church now has home groups. So, and, 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 and I'm very glad about that, although I have to say I'm frequently appalled at the level of non-training that I hear about. 
Okay. So take all of your home group leaders and say, part of what it means to be home group leaders, people are going to be coming with to you with their problems. It's usually not a crisis, but they, you know, just you know, sixteen-year-old Mary is you know going a little bit off the rails. What should I do? Um, so you take them and, and train all of them. Train all of your women's ministry leaders. Train everybody in leadership goes through this. The other thing that's really good, and we've done this at our congregation, we had um, the guys from 12 Stones, which is a ministry in Missouri, I want to say. They came out and did a weekend of training with our home group leaders, which was really, really good. And then also we purchased for all of our home group leaders the little CCEF New Growth booklets. All of them have those booklets. So somebody comes to them and says, I'm really having trouble with worry. I'm really having trouble with anger. We've got one of those booklets, and you can say, well, I'll sit down and read this with you. Maybe I don't know a lot about it, but I'll sit down and read it with you. Okay, so there are things that sort of that aren't in the, you know, completely crisis kind of counseling that goes on that we can do. But, I mean, I, I'm, I'm with you right there. Yeah, and that is the issue, which is why the only place I've really seen this work is out at Faith Baptist in Indiana. And that's because almost everybody there is already trained. I mean, you just basically, I, I mean, I don't know if they, you know, I'm sure they haven't made it a prerequisite to joining the church, but I mean, it's close. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, it's, it, it, and I'll tell you what's really great is their congregation is made up primarily of people who came into the congregation through the counseling center. So their congregation is made up primarily of people who have already been counseled and understand biblical counseling. That's got to be a bedrock perspective among the leaders of the church that you know one of the bedrock foundations of our church is we're going to press this and then what happens is um, I mean you get a lot you get tons and tons of counseling from outside the church but everybody in the church is all counseling each other and the church just is growing like mad because they're counseling one another Yes, go ahead. Yes. How do we motivate the younger? Yes, good. Uh, my husband and I, we, um, we do a, it's probably a home group. We have yes. a home group, um, the college age and career, you know, people that you were talking about. One of the things that we've been doing is inviting one couple or an individual from, like, the other groups that are older to come visit ours. Nice. So we meet every Friday. One couple comes for, like, a month every Friday, and they just sit in the back, and they watch us and you know give us some some wisdom from from them you know and mm-hmm. they're just kind of there and we're getting and then they were so my my suggestion is like to be kind of there yeah go to where they're hanging out what they're doing but don't like swarm them so we just yeah. have one couple come and they're there and they give little answers and, they, and then they might pursue one or two um, and 
And that's been really helpful for us so that they still feel like that group is not like, you know, all the old people are there. It's kind of still the fun hangout group, but it's kind of sprinkled with yeah. people that we need, you know, Yes. I was more focused on the young moms. Yeah. Who have a struggle just staying afloat day to day. Yeah. But they all go to park days together and they also, it's like they all fast, but the blind leading the blind, that they're just kind of commiserate. They're Rehoboams in their own environment. Yeah. And they they give credence to the things that they make decisions upon because some of them does that. Right. Some of them does that I should do that. Right. They're not looking ahead. Especially in their parenting, I'm not judging anybody. I want right. to be for instance, but I don't know that for sure. I just see that kind of let's just all huddle, yes. and we'll make life better, yeah. rather than let's just the word say. Titus says you should be looking at older women. Yeah. I'm not saying. I mean, I would point them at somebody else at my church. Okay? <laughs> yeah. But, but I, you know, I met Jim's church. I'm with Tom and Craig and all those guys, and there are some godly ladies there. But as soon as you touch a button in the lives of these young ladies, they want. They scatter mm-hmm. the coverages. They don't mm-hmm. like it in their life because yeah. it calls them to account mm-hmm. for the things and the decisions they're making. So I think some of it is in that realm that my concern is not not that they're doing so well they don't need counseling, but that they don't want counseling because it opens up their life. Right. And there's really nothing you can do about that. What can you do? I mean if if what they're hearing from the pulpit is telling them something different and they're continuing to do whatever they want there's absolutely nothing you can do about that except continue to pray and know that the Lord will get them where he wants them to be well can I say being a a young mom myself the older women in my church have like served me so as one that she just thinks it's for free gives me a great that has given her this like kind of position in my life where right. she's right. She's been serving me so well and that she's been able to speak into my life things that I probably wouldn't have been able to hear if she was just, you know, randomly coming up to me, but she really invested in me, so that might be my Right. Idea. Right. Yeah, so build up a cachet. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right, sweeties. Um and sir. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> God bless you. Have a good day. Thank you. Copyright 2015 IBCD. All rights reserved. More free audios are available at www.ibcd.org.